to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Like Jeff said, it's a little taste of heaven. We're celebrating this week as a body of Christ that, that's far more expansive than KBC, the homegoing of the evangelist Billy Graham, if you haven't heard. Billy Graham died on Wednesday, 99 years old. And the quip that's been circulating around the internet is when Billy Graham said in, in one of his sermons at one of his crusades, when they tell you that Billy Graham is dead, don't believe it for a moment. Because at that moment, Billy Graham will be alive more than he ever was before. Little taste of heaven. Well, my name's Jesse. I'm the pastor here at Kish. If you haven't been with us, we're in the midst of a, a series on the Gospel of John, a series that we've entitled, Jesus Changes Everything. And we began to look last week at how Jesus didn't just show up to deal with death, but that how he came to usher in to make available eternal life, both forever and for today. Last week, we looked at that through the lens of rest. Today, we're going to look at it again through the lens of satisfaction. And we'll look at that today as we pick up in a story in John chapter 6. So you can turn there if you have a Bible with you. That's where we're going to be spending our time today. But before we go to God's word, let's go to God in prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we take our time this morning to consider this account, we ask that through it we would see the senselessness of our running after satisfaction apart from your son. We ask as we look at a crowd who was not content with Christ, at a people who were not pleased with your provision in the wilderness, that we would rather follow those few who followed Jesus first and recognize with them that after all, where else can we go? Show us Christ, I pray. In his name, amen. Well, I want to begin today with a question. What would it take for you to be satisfied? The Oxford English Dictionary defines satisfaction as the fulfillment of one's wishes, expectations, or needs, or the pleasure derived from these. So let me ask you again, what would it take for you to be satisfied? A man by the name of G.K. Chesterton once said, there are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. Two ways to get enough. Two ways to be satisfied, as it were. One, he said, is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. And Chesterton's line has become a proverb for everything from the minimalist movement that's sweeping our country to our 
the next diet that's coming down the pike. Because basically, from our habitats to our eating habits, the best we can come up with is that there's two ways to live. Either you stuff yourself until you can't take any more, or you simply settle for less. But at least for me, it doesn't seem like either extreme actually provides what it promises. And we can take our eating habits as an example because the one who gorges themselves with one more trip to the buffet line, and I've been there, like the one who starves themselves on supplements, which I've known people who have been there, is not served by food, but enslaved to it. And neither of those are satisfaction. Whether food has become an idol or an enemy, Neither of those are satisfaction. And though I I love G.K. Chesterton as an author, it's interesting that this was apparently something he struggled with in his own life. In a debate once, he remarked about his opponent, uh, George Bernard, Bernard Shaw, if anyone looked at you, they'd think a famine had struck the British Isles. To which Shaw replied to Chesterton's 400 pound frame, If anyone looked at you, they'd think you caused it. (laughs) And this is a struggle. This is a struggle that we face in every area of our lives when we become slaves to what's meant to serve us, whether going after more and more or settling for less and less. Because satisfaction is only available if such things are put in their proper place because it's not about finding satisfaction in what was never meant to satisfy, but about finding satisfaction in Jesus, the one we can't be satisfied without, which is what we find in this passage in John chapter six that happens to be all about the satisfaction we go running after in food. Now tell me that that doesn't hit home, right? And it's a a struggle we find here. We're going to walk through this account in John chapter 6 and and see how Jesus changes satisfaction. And we're going to do it by looking at three stories. The story of a crowd in this passage that was going after more and more. The story of a people behind this passage that was willing to settle for less and less and the story of a few disciples who left everything to follow Jesus. A crowd that went after more and more, a people that settled for less and less, and a few disciples who found their satisfaction in Jesus. First, the story of a crowd that was going after more and more. John chapter six, verse one says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. And that's important. We're gonna come back to it in a little bit. But here on that mountain, it says that Jesus, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, said to one of his disciples, where are we to buy food so that these people may eat? 
But it says that he said this to test them for he himself knew what he would do. And some of us here today probably know what he's about to do too. One of his disciples shows up with a boy's lunch of five loaves and two little fish. And Jesus, after giving thanks, personally distributes them to the 5,000 men, upwards of 20,000 with women and children, who had gathered there that day. It says at the end of verse 11, as much as they wanted. Which had to be something, because I know what that's like to go somewhere where they'll give you as much bread as you want. You know what this is like? We have some big families here. You know what this is like. Now, Catherine came from a small family. She's kind of shy about these things. But I came from a big family. I know what this is like, going to a place that will offer you as much bread as you want. Come on, you go in, you order a kid's meal, a couple waters, and then you wait to see if anybody catches on to see how many baskets they're willing to bring before they say, what is this? It's exactly that, just about you getting exactly what you want, as much as you want. You know what that's like, whether it's the, the breadsticks at Olive Garden or the Texas toast at the, at the steakhouse or the baguettes at Nats, right? You know what this is like. I mean, some of you know what this is like. And it doesn't seem like it was any different back in Jesus' day. It must have been something similar back then because by verse 15, Jesus knows that this crowd is a, about to come and take him by force and make him king. So Jesus withdraws because he knows the kind of king they want. A king who could take five crackers and two Swedish fish and feed his kingdom. But he also knows the kind of king they need the kind of king he came to be. And he's no puppet. Because satisfaction is so much more than just about our bellies. And so he disappears. Well, from there, this crowd disappears as well. And Jesus' disciples, probably wondering where everybody went, they get into a boat and go back across the Sea of Galilee where Jesus actually meets them halfway walking on the water. And he leads them through the sea to the other side. But the crowd eventually catches up with him, to which Jesus says in verse 26, if you want to look down there, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. The crowd asks what they must do to get this food that endures to eternal life. Jesus says in verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That you believe in me. That's the work of God, that you trust in me because I do the work. So the only work left for you to do is to believe in me. But listen to their reply, verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, they say, ate the manna in the wilderness. Remember the story? 
As it is written, they say, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Can you believe that? 5,000 men, upwards of 20,000 total, just the day before, eating their fill from five loaves and two little fishies. And still they ask, they have the audacity to ask, what sign do you do? What work do you perform? Because all they want is more. They're not just asking for one more round of rolls. This crowd is looking to stuff them up their sleeves. Not that I've ever done that. (laughs) They're saying, remember that time in the wilderness when God provided for his people every day as much as they wanted? Got anything like that? That's something we can believe in. That's something we'll stick around for. Because this was a crowd who was going after more and more. Always searching, never satisfied, because Jesus will make the point, they, just like their ancestors, were searching for satisfaction apart from the one they needed most. But what we don't see in life is that we're likewise often trekking after things incapable of filling the voids we submit them to. Bread today, hungry tomorrow. Water now, thirsty later. Healed one minute, hospitalized the next. Buried a few after that. Sex is good, but it doesn't satisfy. And that's because whether it's food or fun or fooling around, these things can't satisfy because they weren't made to satisfy and will never do what we want them to. This is the story of a crowd who wanted more and more. But behind this story of a crowd who wanted more and more was second, the story of a people who were willing to settle for less and less. And it's a story about that crowd's ancestors who were likewise searching for satisfaction apart from the one who truly satisfies. Remember, back in verse four, it said that all this took place on the mountain, in the wilderness, through the sea. All this took place when the feast of Passover was at hand. That's the the context of this story. John 5 was the Sabbath. John 6 is framed by the feast of the Passover, which was a, a celebration of God saving his people out of slavery in Egypt in the past and a longing for him to do it again. Everybody know the story? It's a story about God, when when God showed up and took the Pharaoh to task and demanded that he let his people go. You can think Charlton Heston, right? Let my people go. And God eventually gets his way because God always gets his way. And he led his people through the sea, feeding them in the wilderness, and then bringing them to the mountain where they met God. But Passover was also a story about a people that was willing to settle for less and less. And that's important because coming face to face with how unsatisfying our pursuits often are, that that one more basket of bread isn't gonna do the trick, 
we may think that our only other option is to settle for less and less. But turns out that settling for less and less is as unsatisfying as running after more and more. Before this people got to that mountain in that wilderness where they met God on that mountain, before that, there was a point on that journey after they had gone through the sea when in the wilderness, they were grumbling in their bellies. And then they started to grumble with their mouths against God. That's the story back in a book called Exodus. It says, the whole congregation grumbled against their leaders in the wilderness and the people of Israel said, listen to this, here it is, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. See, Passover is really a story about satisfaction and where we find it. For this people, as for their descendants after them in that crowd, satisfaction was all about their bellies. For that crowd, it was still an active pursuit of what would never satisfy. For this people in the past, it was a a passive resignation that they had to satisfy themselves with nothing. Would that we had died. But how absurd. Not only to think that the God who just led them out of slavery had only done so to let them die in the wilderness. But how absurd that this people was willing to settle for less and less, so much so that they were willing to settle for nothing at all. Yet that's not satisfaction. Whether food has become an idol or an enemy, that's not satisfaction. This cannot be the answer. Either the active pursuit of what will never satisfy or the passive resignation that we have to satisfy ourselves with nothing. As if I can't win the game so I'm not even going to play. Or if I can't get what I want when I want it in the way that I want it, then I don't want anything. This cannot be the answer. But it's the best we can come up with if we're left to ourselves to fall into one of these two stories. But thank God, there's a third. Story of a crowd that was still going after more and more. The story of their ancestors who were willing to settle for less and less. And third, the story of a few disciples who left everything to follow Jesus. During that first Passover when God saved his people out of slavery through the sea, in the wilderness, to the mountain, the question that hung over all of it was whether they would find their satisfaction in him. Because without him, they might as well have died in Egypt. After all, what's a few more trips to the buffet line if ultimately you're going to find yourself in a grave of forever famine? 
And Jesus shows up with that same question in the air. To the crowd, Jesus says in verse 33, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 40, for this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Not death, but life, more alive than ever before. Same question hangs in the air with Jesus' words, but also with what he does, walking on water through the sea, feeding the crowd in the wilderness, going up on the mountain. As if Jesus is showing that the story God was telling back then is in fact a story he's still telling today. That story about whether God's people would find satisfaction in him. That now it's a story about whether God's people would find satisfaction in God's son. Through the sea. In the wilderness. To the mountain. But did you ever notice that Jesus is a bit dyslexic? If he was trying to tell this story again, he should have walked on water first, then fed them in the wilderness, then went up the mountain. Got it all backwards. Unless what he was doing wasn't just retelling a story that had once been told before, but for the first time, telling its end. You see, the story of the Exodus, where God brought his people through the sea, into the wilderness, to the mountain where they met God, was a story of the way out. That's what Exodus means, the way out. But everyone knew that the way out of slavery meant nothing if if there wasn't, on the other side of that, a story of the way in to salvation. So out of Egypt, through the sea, in the wilderness, to the mountain, was only the beginning. The end was when God would show up again to lead his people from the mountain, in the wilderness, through the sea, into the promised land. So Jesus shows up in John chapter 6, when the Passover was at hand, and gets to a mountain to set the stage it's an otherwise unnecessary detail. He comes down from that mountain as God himself feeds the people like only God can and then leads them through the sea to the promised land on the other side. Only to explain to everyone, I am the bread of life of that promised land. I'm the one you were celebrating. I'm the one you were longing for. Verse 49, he says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. 
This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Turns out to be the single most controversial statement Jesus ever makes. It's the reason so many turn back from following him. Because when he, he fleshes it out, it's not the satisfaction we want. He says in verse 55, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. But we're not concerned with living forever. All we want to do is live in the moment. As someone once said, all we want to do is carpe the diem. But how absurd to go after what we cannot keep and at the same time forfeit what we would otherwise never lose. It's the most controversial statement that Jesus ever makes. Yet it explains all of who he is and all of what he came to do. I am the bread of life. You see, we don't often think of it in these terms in our grocery store day and age or with GMOs or, or synthetic food. But the fact is that for us to live, something has to die. You pluck an apple off a tree or a, a carrot out of the ground and you've sentenced that organism to death. And the story of the Bible says that as much as physical life is perpetuated by the death of what we eat, life forever is only made possible if something dies on our behalf. Because physical death reflects a forever death that we all deserve. To which Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Eat me. Bread and wine, blood and body, eat me. My death for your life, for all who take and eat and come and trust. So that with God at the center of it, made possible by the death of Jesus, as our promised land and the bread of that land, life may be enjoyed for what it is as we find our satisfaction, not in settling for less and less or going after more and more of the same old, same old, but of finding it in Jesus. It says that many turned back from, from following him, that his opponents were absolutely livid, but listen to how the passage ends. Verse 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. The saying was too hard. Or more likely, the return was not worth the, what they thought of the investment. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
story about a crowd that was still going after more and more. A story about a people who were willing to settle for less and less. And a story about a few disciples who gave up everything to follow Jesus and found there their satisfaction in him. A friend of mine got married a little while ago. A friend for whom food had become the enemy. Not his idol, gorging himself as much as he wanted. Not that, he had other idols in life. But his enemy. He maintained the, the strictest diet, surviving um, often on supplements, controlling his weight, controlling his fat content. So that like it or not, food no longer served him, but had become his slave master. And he stood up at his wedding to toast his bride. He said, you may have noticed, since our engagement, I've gained 20 pounds. And since I found you, I'm enjoying life more than ever before. A peach used to be a peach, a pear, a pear, a, a piece of pie, my nemesis. But it is no longer because I found the one I was made for. And in this instance, as he stood there, he said, and in the process, I actually found the one who made me. I found again Jesus which changed everything. Spend our lives running after what will never satisfy. Some of us get to the point where we're actually running away from them. When in fact, we were meant to find our satisfaction in the one we can never be satisfied without. And finding satisfaction in Jesus, we're able to then enjoy this world for what it is, to not make it what it's not, neither an idol nor an enemy, but rather, whether feasting or fasting, as something that points us to and we enjoy under Jesus. So let me ask you again. What would it take for you to be satisfied? Here's the answer. Here's what John would say. Here's what Jesus would say. It would take too much for you to make it possible, which is why it took everything from Jesus, who by the grace of God, through his work on the cross, changes everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, too often we find ourselves as members of that crowd, still running after more and more what will never satisfy. When we get the hint, sometimes we end up where that people was, settling for less and less until we settle ultimately for nothing. 
Yet either way, what we run after or run away from becomes our slave master. Yet I pray today with those few disciples, those first few who followed Jesus, we would find a better master in him. Amen. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.